dumb fun. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Musical the movie the podcast. Musical the movie the podcast. Musical the movie the podcast with Andy and Steph. Hello, Steph. Welcome in. How are you? Christmas bells are ringing. No, I just needed no, they're to. they're not. No, they're not. But they, but they are. It, we're in that like. Li- well, we just got out of that like liminal in between uh, Christmas and New Year's time that just like yeah. doesn't exist. Um, and yeah. that's the time of of the musical that we're talking about today. And well, I just I wanted to make sure that the Christmas bells were represented <laughs> in our conversation as they are not represented in Chris Columbus's take. Stuff a lot has happened since we recorded last. Uh, <laughs> Christmas happened, New Year's happened. We both got COVID. Hell yeah, uh, we did. We a very it. recent guest of our podcast borrowed our car and got it towed. Uh, we are. <laughs> I don't want to say exactly when we're recording this, but if you want to pinpoint it, we're recording between Kevin McCarthy's eleventh and twelfth bids <laughs> to uh, become Speaker of the House, uh, and and yet we can't. We don't have time to talk about any of that stuff today. No. No, it's not because about that. we have a two hour and 15 minute movie to talk about that is an adaptation of a Pulitzer Prize winning work of drama called Jonathan Larson's Rent. It's just called Rent. It's just called Rent. Um, I, oh, I'm so excited. I, I wanted to say something about like, hey, what do you do on the first of every month? Is it pay your rent? Because uh-huh. that's not what these guys do. No, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, Bone Thugs and Harmony sang about it, but that song's not in this musical. <laughs> but it is about concurrent to the to I, when this yeah. came out. That song's sort of spiritually in this musical. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's that's sort of you know <laughs> the complete American experience about the first of the month. Uh, Andy, what's your relationship to Rent the Musical? Thank you for your question, Steph. Uh, I so I saw this movie. I'm gonna call it uh, 2015. Ooh, uh, I watched that's this movie. Recent. Yeah, on Netflix. And um, you're familiar with this, the internet uh, movie flicks. And um, and they and I watched this movie and I inexplicably loved it. I had never seen Rent before. And in fact, Steph, let me tell you something. This was the one thing I knew about Rent. Are you familiar with this? Everyone has AIDS. <laughs> yeah. AIDS, AIDS, AIDS. Yeah. AIDS, 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 AIDS. It's going to keep going for a second. Everyone has AIDS. I mean, that's sort yep. of, if, if you distill it down into a song, it's not inaccurate. <laughs> that's, of course, from Team America World Police, <laughs> where the the main character is starring in a musical called Lease. Uh, <laughs> and that's, that's like, one of the only things we see them sing. Uh, and so that I just knew Rent was this musical where everyone had AIDS. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I watched the movie. I loved it. I, I There's a lot of bangers in stuff, and stuff. There's and it really... so many bangers. And and there's just as many cringe like songs in this thing, but they were the the bangers were enough to to draw me in, okay. and I watched it I watched it again like three times before the week was through. I like made the girl I was dating watch it. I like watched it with people with friends that were in town. I like put it on while I was cleaning the house and shit. How did you How did you broach that conversation with them? Were you like, have you guys heard about this hot new musical that's on Netflix? <laughs> I was just like, hey, can we, I, I remember asking her, I was like, can we, do you mind, we, we watch Rent? And she's like, do you mind? 
she was like no man no i don't want to watch rent i was like it's i was like i watched it it's really good just try it it's really good and then i remember watching it or i don't think she gave a fuck about it uh i think I'm, my roommate at the time ben weir has probably watched it with me and liked it more um but you know there's a lot to uh there's a lot to like and there's a lot to hate about rent and i think oh, that's that why that's just... what keeps people uh, because part of okay this is important to my history too that i need to mention is that there's a podcaster by the name of jimmy pardo comedian podcaster uh who has a show called never not funny and he has this thing about rent that he talks about a lot where he uh he, every time rents in town he's like i'm gonna go see rent i love rent he goes and sees it he sings every song he cries and then he gets to his car and he goes that was so bad that was so fucking stupid why do i love this why do i love this and it's so like now anthony rapp star of this play and movie has become a friend of never not funny and like comes on the show and jimmy has talked about all this to his face and tried to like suss out the things that he hates about rent with him and that's sort of what made me be like, okay, it's time for me to see Rent. I need. To oh, that's so things. interesting. I love that. I love uh, that yeah. because it's so. It's like all of the. I um watched the 2019 live version with um our Vanessa with, Hudgens at all at all um and with our guest on the podcast today, and we had this conversation. Like I remember in the opening part just like I had like sort of dismissed it I was like oh I don't really care about rent like this is just a fun thing that we're watching and I but then like 10 minutes in, I was like never mind this is so important this is the best thing that has ever happened to live television and then like an hour and a half later I was like oh yeah that's right that's why like it's just there is something about it it takes you on a ride I want to say one more thing about my relationship to rent before I move on which is that I had a lot of trouble with Roger. And I mean, granted, he has this very, like, sort of alt-rock voice that's kind of either, if you have a problem with it, you have a problem with it. I think no all of his songs... No one in the world sounds like Adam Pascal. Right. Except yeah. for the lead singer of The Calling and, like, a lot of the <laughs> lead singers of bands of that era. And so a lot of his songs to me sound like Calling album tracks. Uh, and I couldn't, but I couldn't figure out why in particular I felt such a disdain for him. And then I realized it one day, Steph, you know this about me, that one of my favorite movies, something I think is a perfect movie, is School of Rock. Richard Linklater's School of Rock Mwah. is a perfect movie. And, and then I was re-watching it one day after I had seen Rent, and uh, I realized that Adam Pascal is uh, the leader of the band that kicks Jack Black out at the beginning <laughs> of the movie. So you and, were, like, transferring your emotional hatred yeah. onto Roger. Yeah. I pulled I pulled a little bit of his vocals from the like ten seconds that you hear him sing in this in in School of Rock because it's so funny to me. But here it is. This is just Jack is walking into the practice space and this is what he hears. I'm heartsick with E minor. I'm hungry in E minor G. Hey, hey. what's up? Is that a new song? Uh, yeah. It's it's like... The way that he sings the chords is so funny to me. <laughs> It's like, um, I, I just like felt the cringe of like walking into your friend's band rehearsal at the end. He's in the tight black shirt. Oh, <laughs> it's, he's, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Steph, <laughs> that's enough of me. So I, I have a roller coaster relationship with Rant as, as I think most people do. But what, what is your particular relationship with Rant? Ooh, uh, so my relationship with Rent is one I've been trying to like, point out or like like plot out the different points and it's so hard to look at it objectively because I was an emotional 15 year old the first time that I was exposed to this musical like 
living in angst in suburbia and just like i i just like mapped so much of my little baby teen self onto it um that to to think back on it objectively is just it's funny like it's just a fun little uh therapy exercise it's um, a little bit how I feel about Avenue Q. Avenue Q I saw when I was purely <laughs> well, I in my early twenties. Yeah, hell yeah. I so yeah, so I was like I was a weird loner as a kid. Not like, you know, comically or excessively, but like uh like the the girl in Bo Burnham's eighth grade. Like that was oh, me yeah. in eighth grade. It was very hard <laughs> for me to watch that film. Um and so as a high school freshman, I'm like just starting to make friends in the theater department starting to feel like there might be a place where people might celebrate me for being the weirdo that I am. Um, and a group of us go to see the rent tour that comes through Green Bay. And I mean, I I just proceed to have like a top five mind-blown theater experience. Um, I, I'm just like, I mean, because I'm like that kid, I'm clawing for community and for stories that celebrate community. Um, and I'm also just starting to really consider how unhappy the people around me are that are they're living the like supposed suburban dream um and and like that they're sort of like represented in the stage show by mark and his parents who are very loving i i think looking back yeah, on we'll this get, now as we'll an adult that, we but... can talk about that but i had a strong reaction to that um but i what am i holding right was... here stuff <laughs> you are holding i think the the like uh commemorative program not the playbill but like the one that you had to pay 25 dollars for from uh, either that tour or like the subsequent tour that i saw from your on. from when you saw red i just found this yeah. uh when we were looking for documents when we got our car towed earlier this week <laughs> like, don't have time to talk about that yeah and did i find my car's registration no but no. i did find the commemorative rent program from 2002 <laughs> so yeah. we're all good but yeah so that's sort of like how i am introduced to it and um also i should say that's all before we even start talking about the amazing queer representation in this play which was like not a thing at the time like in 2001 in wisconsin when i am seeing this film there are like multiple active legislation moving through congress outlawing same-sex marriage that that was just sort of like the uh space that we're in when i see this like celebration that isn't like apologetic about it it's just sort of like fuck you here are a few amazing depictions of love yeah it's also not about that like it's it's yeah it's 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 a it contains all this uh you know it's about a lot of people who aren't white and a lot of people who aren't straight but it's not about that it's just among that it's a story that takes place among like punk culture drag culture gay culture queer culture yeah so yeah did i say say drag gay and queer um (laughs) Yeah, but those okay. are all sort of like distinct okay. subcultures that I do think are present here. Sure. Um, yeah. So, like, I guess what I'm saying is that if OG iTunes, like when everyone first got iTunes, if they did like a Spotify rap, rent would be in my top five. Um, you could, yeah, well, on iTunes, you could organize by most played. You know, yeah, I used to have it. it used to there. make a smart playlist of my top 25 most played. It was played like Rent and Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> Just, um, well, just a picket sign in your hand and a dream in your heart. <laughs> um, but then importantly, too, like, I go to college, this movie comes out, and I have, like, all of the fury of an 18-year-old about how they did my favorite musical wrong. I, I got, you know the, the line in um, 
Broad City where they're walking and Abby says, you know that musical Rent? I don't understand why they thought they just didn't have to pay their rent. And like, I think I've gone on a cycle through my life where I've like been around that circle at least three times where I'm like, yeah, fuck, they shouldn't have to pay rent. And then later I'm like, but you do just have, like, you do have to pay your rent. You do (laughs) have to, like, you did make an agreement to live with someone. And then I'm like, but they didn't make it. And also, why does Benny own the building? And why does anyone own anything? Um, So, yeah, so there's there's a lot here. There's a lot here. It's it's about your early 20s, isn't it? (laughs) It really is. It's really about that, like, that kind of angst where you're, you're, you, you might be right about a lot of stuff, but you're, you feel right about everything. <laughs> That's true. Um, well, why don't we bring our guests in to talk about it? Nothing would delight me more. Um, I would like to start by introducing uh, a good friend of mine. She may have been on that trip to see Rent in Green Bay. I don't know. We'll ask her. Um, she's also a librarian, a school librarian. She's an award-winning fan fiction author. It's Amanda Crowley. Welcome, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Waiting for you to unmute. Take your time. Hi, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I did it. (laughs) How's it going? Welcome. It's going great. Thanks for having me. Now, you guys were in high school theater together, basically, right? Yeah. I mean, we weren't in the same year. But, and also, like, I don't know, I feel like Amanda was, like, a level above me in terms of, like, actually performing and things and, like, getting cast. And I was sort of often, like, the prop girl or whatever. She's making a shame I'm face, sorry. but she's wrong. She's great. <laughs> I I want to be clear that I alternated between playing, like, old ladies, religious figures, and drunks. And those were the three categories of roles that I played. So, like, I wouldn't say that I was, like, the star. That's actress. some juicy shit, yo. It's hard to play drunk. <laughs> If you could do it I'm, well. I mean, I'm great at it. Yeah, I'm great at it. <laughs> Was there one play you guys were in together? Uh, I mean, there, there were a few. bunch that we were in together, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, we were in Les Mis together. What? We were in Our, in Town, Our Town together. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, um, I think, were you, you didn't really ha- do Summer Shakespeare, did you? Oh, no, you were famously Mariah Carey. And you I were was, oh, famously yeah, Mariah Carey and Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. And Mariah Carey. I That's did right. play Mariah Carey and Romeo and Juliet. That's correct. <laughs> There's no no further questions. Was it a stage adaptation of Romeo plus Juliet? <laughs> it was um, like essentially yes, yeah. It like I I really think it was our director like heard this song when he was a 21 year old in theater school and was like this sounds like Juliet someday I'm gonna do it and then and then he just like hammed it in. Um, it went okay. You sounded lovely. <laughs> it went, the song you sang it was went beautiful. okay. <laughs> <laughs> the effect of it was okay. I want to introduce our other guest. Yeah. Uh, he is a Louisville-based comedian. He is a, uh, I mean, this guy does everything. He does podcasts. He does musical comedy. He he uh, does uh, sketch comedy. He uh, has an album out, which I'm sure he'll plug later uh, because I forgot to remember the name of it. Uh, but he's <laughs> one of my favorite performers. We often perform together in the character assassination roast. Uh, such a funny dude. It's Sean Smith, everybody. Hey, Hi, Sean. Hey, thank you. Hello. Thanks for thanks for having me. A uh, long time, actually, original fan of Moth Moth Poe. So I'm glad to be here. Sean! <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Those, those, are, those are how we'll know the real fans of the right. And in a few years is That's the right. ones who say Moth Moth Poe. 
Because uh, we will like stop saying gonna, it. No. This will be the last episode <laughs> we where never. we say it. He's wrong. He's not. Don't listen to him. I love it. Sean, love uh, it. last time I was in Louisville performing with him, he they told me he really wanted to do the show. And then he sent me a couple days later on Facebook. Uh, on Facebook, he sent me a list of musicals that he would love to do the show about. Uh, and then finally this week I said, um, hey, Rent is not on that list. Do you want to do Rent anyways? <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And so, Sean, why don't I go on to ask you then, what is your relationship to Rent? Yeah. So, um, okay. Um, in 96, I'm, I think, 16 or no, 15, 14, one of those. Um, and I am not connected to the arts at all. I'm an athlete in my head. That's my identity. I don't know anything <laughs> about it. But I have a lot of art friends, um, a lot of performers. Um, and so I start hearing Seasons of Love like everywhere. And I thought it was a good song, but you know, beyond that, like no connection. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to college. Um, the college I went to had a thing called convocations where we got credit for going to see plays or people come to speak or um you know whatever it was. And they would have a lot of musicals that would come through. And I saw like Annie Get Your Gun, Don Quixote, like all of these musicals. And I was like, oh, I like I like music. I like plays. Why don't I like I actually like musicals? Why did I yeah. why did I deny this? What was I so <laughs> um so and I think the one that really sold me was Rent. So oh, wow. the only time um like I can remember going to see Rent, like they brought it in, we got to see it for free. So I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, I know and this would have been 2000. So this is like at the height. Um and so I'm like yeah, let's let's go and see it. And I was really blown away by just how modern it was in comparison to all these other. Um, uh, right, you literally mentioned Annie, get your gun. <laughs> yeah, Man of La Mancha. Yeah, like so. Yeah, so yeah. these, you know, the other ones that would come through were still great. Um, but it, you know, the the modern tones and and the modern language used really like connected in a different way. So, and then I didn't see the the movie at all until like literally earlier today. So, uh, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I um, that. I can remember it. Like, you know, as songs would come up, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, they do all have AIDS. Cool, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> it seems right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's 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 kind of my connection, but um, yeah, that's what I got. Uh, Amanda, what about you? Yeah, so um, I was introduced to Rent when I was thirteen. I think it was the summer of two thousand, like around that time when it was really big. Um, when I went to like a nerd summer camp at Northwestern, right? Um, and this girl that I was sort of obsessed with uh, performed over the moon at the camp talent show. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> and I. <laughs> And it had never before. Yes, I want that. <laughs> right. <laughs> it had like never before occurred to me that like a fellow 13-year-old <laughs> could go on stage at like a like official like school event and sing that and sing about like a suicidal Mickey Mouse, right? Like that, like that seemed impossible to me. Um and I just thought she was like the coolest. Um and so I I don't know, I mean I asked her about it or whatever. And then I went to Dr. Wax and Evanston RIP and bought the soundtrack um with the money my parents had given me for food obviously um and (laughs) um and then uh and then that and then I like loved it right I listened to the soundtrack I think the first time I saw it was that trip in Green Bay um I like that feels right to me I don't know how I would have seen it before that 
Um, and I've seen it a, maybe a couple times live since then. Um, I do, I do love it with my whole heart. And you, and you like this movie too. <laughs> you stand by this movie. So interesting. So like, okay, so I, when the movie came out, I sort of had the response. Steph did of like, I hated it. I was like, why are they talking all the time? Um, and I will say that watching it again this week, I was like, oh no, this is like pretty good. Like, it's not like, is it necessarily what I would have made? But it like was much better than I remembered it being. Um, watching it, watching it again. I yeah. have a question for you, Amanda, which is, um, and you also, like, you can tell us later to cut all of this out. But like, do you want to talk a little bit about Stephen Chbosky? Because well, yeah, he's so part of it. Oh, do I? <laughs> Boy, do I. <laughs> he wrote the uh, screenplay here. Yeah. And he also really importantly, so for the record, he directed your Dear Evan Hansen movie. I know. That, I uh, know. Yeah. Talk I about, can never forget wild them. Time. I'm so sorry. Um, and he, importantly to me, wrote the book, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which I think I read yeah. that same summer, right? That was like the summer that that, or like maybe a year after that book came out. It is clear to me that Stephen Chbosky and I... <laughs> share a lot of the same sort of like sentimentalities and so maybe that is <laughs> part of what is happening here also maybe because i read that book when i was 13 and like imprinted on it so i will and this is, this is a sort of open question for the group but um steph and i did have because of a card game we were playing over the over the holidays <laughs> with my family have an argument over whether or not rent is a rock opera I can see that. Unquestionably, yes. Yeah. I think it is. It's a rock music. It is a rock, like, rockish musical. Yeah. There's, like, no dialogue. So, like, that is part of what is so jarring about this adaptation is that, like, right, they take something that, like, so... uh, The stage show, like, aggressively doesn't have dialogue. Like, anytime they do, Roger will just, like, come in strumming his guitar, and, like, now there's a rhythm underneath it. Okay, and I didn't even think about this when I was fighting all by myself against five just very impassioned Flemings. That it's also an adaptation of an opera. Like, it's, like, Mm. sort of explicitly a rock, like, bringing uh, a Puccini opera into a rock setting. Yeah, but if I bring mayonnaise into an into a, a Come playground, on. it doesn't make it playground mayonnaise. There we go. <laughs> I, the old playground mayonnaise. <laughs> yeah. Can't believe we brought it back to the old playground mayonnaise. Okay. Let's 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 talk. Let's start talking about this thing because I there's too much to talk about here. Uh so I'm gonna talk a little bit about the production of it and how it comes to be. So in nineteen eighty nine uh, there is a, a young composer who wants to make a musical based on the opera La Boheme, and his name is Billy Aronson. And uh, and he goes to his friend Jonathan Larson. He's like, hey, I'm working on this musical. Do you think you could help me with a couple of the songs? And they t- com- together compose the w- Santa Fe and what becomes the title song and the song I Should Tell You. And then a couple years later, like, I don't think anything's ever happened with it. And Jonathan Larson goes to Billy Aronson. He says, hey, can I, can I take it? Let me get that, basically, is what he says. <laughs> and he ends up taking it from him because he wanted to write a rock opera, too. In his words, bring musical theater to the MTV generation. And so the two of them make an agreement that if the show goes to Broadway, Aronson would share in the proceeds and be given credit for original concept and additional lyrics. Which is not bad. Uh, and then, so then the show gets developed, and of course, famously, the show's creator, Jonathan Larson, dies suddenly of an aortic dissection uh, the night before the off-Broadway premiere. Steph, nurse-elect in nursing school, what can you tell us about aortic <laughs> dissection? 
Um, it's terrifying and it's real and there's not a way. So basically a, a, an aneurysm, a dissection is a type of aneurysm. And, and it just means like you have a, bo- a bunch of blood vessels that run all through your body and they're just, you are, you are a series of tubes. You as a person, you thought it was just the internet, but it's you as a person <laughs> are a series of tubes and the tubes can like develop just like little punctures or weaknesses. And sometimes they're there like from the time that you were born and it's just like the right combination of things happens and one day it blows and there's not a way to like check about it. Like sometimes, you know, you can find them if you're doing surgery or whatever, but like it's not something you can prevent. It's not something you can like help your way out of. It's just like one of the very tragic ways that our human bodies fail us wow steph's gonna be a nurse y'all you thought it was fake killing it <laughs> science with your art today folks That's thank right. you uh so but so the show goes on to become rent it wins four of tony's best book best music best musical and uh wilson germain uh heredia the uh the movie script and i swear i have this written down amanda is written by steven chabosky who is fresh off the success of writing Every Girl I Dated in College's favorite book, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Uh, for some reason, Robert De Niro gets attached as a producer under his Tribeca Films imprint. And Spike Lee is attached to direct for a while, which is funny because there's that line mm-hmm. about Spike Lee. Spike Lee shooting down the street. Uh, and, uh-huh. uh, he was so humble. Yeah, bah humbug. <laughs> and, uh, and then De Niro tries to get Martin Scorsese to direct it. But Scorsese is unhappy with the versions of Stephen Chbosky's script that he reads. Sorry, Amanda. And somehow, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, somehow Chris Columbus gets attached, fresh off of directing the first two Harry Potter movies. He goes Harry Potter, Harry Potter, something Rent. The something is Christmas with the Cranks. Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah, the casting <laughs> of the eight, sort of the casting of the eight main parts is all from the original Broadway cast, except for. Rosario Dawson and Tracy Toms as Mimi and Joanne, because by the time that the film goes into production, uh, Freddie Walker, who played Joanne, thought she was too old. And Daphne Rubin Vega was not only too old, but was also pregnant at the time of filming. None of that works for a 19-year-old Mimi. No, we need a 25-year-old Rosario Dawson in there. <laughs> we do, though. Yeah, we do. We really do. Uh, Jennifer Hudson auditions for Joanne, but she she does not win the role, so she is forced to do another role, uh, and that is Effie in Dreamgirls that wins her an Oscar. Mm. Um, Modern day Julie Anders moment. Yeah. And um, I guess that's all I'll say about the pre-production of this movie. The only thing I will add is that Chris Columbus's first movie that he ever made was a movie that a lot of people uh, my age and older like called Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, yeah. uh, where Elizabeth Shue is running all around town yeah. trying to keep these kids together. And one of them, I don't think the one of the kids, but the kid's little jerky friend is baby Anthony Rapp before he ever even does rent. And he's great in it. He's a little pervert in it. And he's he's really (laughs) wonderful. Uh, But yeah, that's sort of how this movie comes to be. There's not a whole lot of information on the making of this movie because it's kind of considered to be a flop. It has a $40 million budget. It only makes $32 million in its entire uh, worldwide theatrical run. I mean... Uh, I don't know anyone in 2005 who sees this movie and loves it. Like, I, I and like, I, I do, I should say, like, I do know people who like it. Like, and, you know, we'll talk about how there, there's like a moment when 
Colin says Merry Christmas, bitches. I still say Merry Christmas, bitches to some of my friends from college. And it is, like, quoting Colin. But, like, it's not... It it doesn't have anything of, like... The, it doesn't capture anything of the phenomenon of the show. And, like, therefore... I don't know. I just believe that we all just kind of forgot about it. Interesting. That's a strong thesis straight statement right off the bat. <laughs> I know. I know. But, uh, but let's let's get into it. I feel comfortable with that thesis statement because, as we will soon see, they really just took all the energy out. Um, okay. So we open with a few title cards um, and then uh, just those those really clean piano chords hit. As we see Rent appear on the screen, and we go to an empty theater where the principal cast is standing in a line on a stage. They are extremely well lit. They are singing Seasons of Love. They are mostly pulling it off. Uh, (laughs) As an opening sequence, it's sort of like out of time. Like it's for, like it's like a moment for us from the actors rather than like from any characters. Um, and then the last thing that I wrote down about it is that we get our first peek at the tension from how awkward Anthony Rapp's Mark is while he is performing any kind of music. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's his dance. It's like he, his he, like, first dance. Really He's just. His arms out and dances. Uh, what do you guys think of how this is staged? Well, I think the staging is, it was really, um, nice, but I think it also like early on exposed some of the characters in a way that I was like, oh, I don't. I feel like maybe these weren't the right choices for a movie. And I mm-hmm. I, I, I felt like um, some of their voices, I don't know if, I don't think Tay Diggs was good. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. Like, I know that he was a part of it for a very long time, but like, like some of them, like Rosario Dawson, I feel like she's very eye-catching anyway, like just her as a performer in general. Um, and I guess some people you can tell perform as singers and some perform as actor singers or right. whatever. But um, that was the thing, like going through all of them have such a highlight in their in their it's like a solo for each one to get their yeah. spotlight and to shine. They didn't all shine. That was my thought. <laughs> Love that. Amanda. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so my recollection and Seth, you might be able to tell me if this is true, but I think that this is how they stage the finale on the stage show. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it like yeah well so they this is less. yeah they stage um seasons of love and the stage show opens up the second half and it is sort of similarly like out of time of the story um but yeah they have all the performers and and they usually use all the performers which includes like ensemble members right. um in a big line on the I think, on the stage yeah. i think yeah and to then, your point amanda the finale has just the principals minus angel and then angel comes out and, but and like and that right and then and they're doing the similar like they're in their line and then when it's in the finale it's like evoking that they had done this before mm-hmm. um, right yeah so I mean, yeah, like, I, think, I, I mean here it's like it's the nice nod to i guess to that the fact that this was a stage show but i don't know i don't know how effective it is and i agree with sean that like or honestly like to some of it i'm like please don't put a spotlight in adam pascal's face he looks like he is one hundred thousand years old in this movie and like i feel bad because like i think he was like my age right when they made this but like and then right. like i mean and you're looking at him with rosario dawson and i'm like oh this is not appropriate right like, right and so then I, right. yeah <laughs> yeah exactly I, I do feel that i mean first of all yeah i don't so I we fought this like immediately Steph and I started fighting when we put this on the other day. 
Because I don't, I think it's a bad choice. I think if you're going to make a movie, you make a movie and you don't need to have them standing on stage performing in a theater. Uh, it's like a nod to the history of this thing, but do that over the closing credits or something if you want to do that. But yes, and yeah. and also maybe yeah, there's this thing sure. of like, let's get this song that everybody knows out of the way, right. so that people aren't like squirming Waiting in their seats. Like, it. when are they going to do the song? You know? Yeah. But have some balls. I mean, you got yeah. you got all these bangers between now and then. Well, I, I think well, also, also I'll also say like in the sequencing, and this is a little bit jumping ahead, but to do that song first makes the everything is rent song like it takes it a step back which is it's actually like a more powerful rock song um that gets energy and you know brings people in but it doesn't work as well if you put seasons of love in front of it because that's true seasons of love yeah. is the jam yeah it, it has all up- that perspective and rent is just sort of like <laughs> a little complaining yeah <laughs> you know yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. And also, and also to another point you made, Sean, I do think that it 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 gives us the reveal of some characters where they could have held. Uh, I know, Steph, you were talking about that with Maureen, for example, mm-hmm. who's played, yeah. of course, by uh, we talked about her last week, Adele Dazeem, uh, the, the wickedly talented, <laughs> the wickedly talented yeah. Adele Dazeem. Uh, yeah, it's not. I don't like that. Like we see. Um, that like everyone who's there, like they're singing like they're like a little bit in character, but only a little bit, and like it's not. We don't get the impact of like when we meet Maureen riding out on her motorcycle, for example, right. or right. like this is like we've already seen like oh yeah, and there's that girl, and she's gonna be Maureen, okay, right. Um, it just like it just like pulls the. It's also okay. I was thinking about like an overture. Like, this rent doesn't really have an overture. Like, the stage show starts with they just kind of, like, run on stage and now you're in the musical, mm-hmm. um, which is really effective. But also um, means that, like, all that early stuff, right, like, builds us up and then we get into rent and, like, everything is just sort of, like, emoting at you. Um, and this is not, like, as an overture, it functions to, like, kind of give us a cozy hug. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and be right like, right we're gonna have all of these feelings and then it resolves and you're just like on a street on avenue Beach <laughs> in the east village right mm-hmm. well yeah. and like and you don't have the schema either right like seasons of love is powerful where it is in the musical because you know about these characters and their relationships with one another right but like taken out of context you're just like oh i don't know like if if you i mean i don't know who saw, i guess andy some people saw this movie and d- didn't know about rent right and like because for me i'm like oh well, i know who these people are and like why they're singing about how much they love it, you know whatever but like if you're coming into this without having that background what does this scene do for you right like right. nothing like you don't have there's it's yeah. like this like contextless void of yeah. right a song that maybe you've heard before like when your middle school choir sang it or whatever but like, there's not. It's not introducing any conflict. It's not telling you what the story is. It's not giving you any anything, right? Like plot wise. Yeah, that's really true. Carrie Dubay, when she was on the show, talked about indirect characterization because she's a uh, teacher, and uh, <laughs> and she and there is no indirect characterization to be had in this number because it's eight people standing in a line singing, right. and all we right. learn is that Mark dances like a dork, right? <laughs> Which is an important lesson. Yeah, I mean, you got to know how your character dances. You, you do have to establish that. <laughs> Although I do see that's that's what it does for me is that when he dances, I don't feel like I'm watching Mark dance. I feel like I'm watching Anthony <laughs> rap dance. Uh-huh. I have a no- okay. Yeah, I'm. A, I keep. I just feel like this whole. I'm excited to be here with you all. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, okay, so out of this uh, presentation, we uh, we get to see some snips of handheld camera footage. We will come to learn that this is these are uh, Mark. This is Mark's footage that he has been kind of capturing loosely. Um, and Anthony Mark, narr- I was going to say Anthony Rapp. Mark narrates uh, the famous opening lines, but like right away. <sighs> December 24th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in plain spoken words. There's no music. There's no rhythm underneath him. Um, And then the frame expands and transitions us into Rent, the first song. Um, So we see Mark biking through the East Village to his home on Avenue B. He gets an eviction notice along with his... uh, He gets an eviction notice... And along with his roommate, Roger, burns things from their apartment to get a little heat because the power is out. Their friend Colin stops by but gets mugged on his way into the building. To quote the song, the narration crackles and pops with incendiary wit. Mm. <laughs> I know, that's, that's the lyric you pulled? <laughs> yeah. I can't ever stop thinking about it's i like the idea <laughs> that he writes it about his own song is just <laughs> i love it it's such a like point into your i, I love it jonathan so i do feel that mark is the jonathan larson here and because mm-hmm. writers we do this thing where like we write a script but instead of it's about a writer of plays it's about a guy who makes movies and it's just like <laughs> yeah oh it's about a co- it's about a chef and he's it's not about movies it's it's sean favreau's chef Right. But it's not about a movie right. maker. It's about a chef. So through the song, we meet Mark, played by Anthony Rapp, Roger, Adam Pascal, Collins, Jesse L. Martin. Well, which I should it, say Roger is a musician. Roger is a musician. Yeah. Mark is a documentarian. Uh-huh. Um, Collins, played by Jesse L. Martin, is a uh, computer say philosophy professor. A homeless <laughs> computer philosophy professor. Right. Um. But uh, he, I mean, I'm never gonna say anything bad about Collins. Collins is is all of my heart. Um, and we also get so Benny enters, and Benny is their landlord who is just evicting them, and he enters on the great line, "Draw a line in the sand and then make a stand," which is like his whole character in a phrase. And I just I love that Tay Diggs does not miss his shot, even though he is just like criminally misapplied here yeah yeah I, I do feel like to yeah to your point earlier sean that he I, I think that every other other than the opening every other time he sings in the movie he's he does sing his fucking ass off and that he he's trying he yeah he's going he really for adds it. a lot yeah he's going well, for because, it every time and because it's this part that he was cast in before he was tay Diggs, right he then consents to be criminally underused in yeah. this movie <laughs> right as a throwback to this thing that he did a long time ago and I'm sure to work with his wife at the time, not knowing that his wife is going to meet her next husband on the set of this movie. Right. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. You'd marry a newsie too if you could. No, they always be talking about the papes while I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the other thing I was going to say in terms of people we meet as everyone. So, so the song like kind of concludes and we see everyone on the street throwing um, fiery papers out the window. Um, and as everyone is sort of dispersing, we do get like a shot of Angel in her pickle tub and Roger mm-hmm. makes eyes with Mimi. I sort of do feel like, right, it's missed. The movie has missed its shot for this to like act as an overture because they did the seasons of love thing. 
But if we can just forget about the seasons of love thing, <laughs> Rent sort of does like function yeah. as like a nice little a nice yeah. little following over subsequent overture. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about Collins for a second in this yeah. bit? I hadn't ever noticed this in my life before. So he Mark like throws the keys to him or whatever, and then he just never comes up, and no one goes to find out why. There's right? one, and then like there's one line where where Mark goes, "Where is he?" And then that's it. Yeah. Like, can you imagine? Like, if I like, like, right? Like, like if I threw you my keys and you were not upstairs in twenty seconds, I would right. page you because it's nineteen ninety seven. Something. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um. But yeah, that's and then my favorite part is that at the end of the movie, uh, they throw their keys down to Collins and Mark says, "Try not to get your ass kicked this time." And I'm like, well, are you going to watch him? Watch him, watch him, watch right. him walk into your building. Give him some security. But no, he just walks right back into his apartment. Yes. And also, I don't know if you guys ever watched the show Flash. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's, he's the captain on Flash. And he literally gets beat up like that, like, every episode. So he's just continuing this process. Honestly, I mean. Sean, part of uh, what, what I struggle with with Jesse L. Martin in this movie is that I had seen... I was I was deep in the Arrowverse when I started watching Rent. Yeah. And so I already mm-hmm. saw him as like a dad figure and he looks like exactly right. the same in this Pretty movie. Much, no, he yeah. wears the same skull cap in this movie as he does on every episode same thing. of Flash. And so yeah. I was like, no, that's someone's dad. That's not a 25-year-old homeless guy. <laughs> right. Okay, wait, one thing we have been talking about. I do think Collins is supposed to be a little bit older. In oh, yeah. my mind, be- oh, okay. well, because like he's a professor, right? He's had to like he had to do his PhD. He's you yeah. a twenty five year old professor. <sighs> I don't think he's that ambitious. <laughs> that ambitious, he knows how to rewire an ATM. <laughs> That's true. That is well, true. but he's and he's had like a couple of different jobs, right? Like he talks about like he's been <laughs> at MIT and like got fired, right? Now is it in my U? Like I feel like he's been he's been out of grad school a couple of years. I was pegging yeah. him at like thirty. Yeah, it's still a good fifteen years younger than what jesse martin looks like maybe 10 years younger but yeah yeah Yeah. sure but also like okay one thing we're going to talk about a lot because i have specifically noted it for each of them for the people from the um original broadway cast who have been singing these songs for 10 years like you can just Mm -hmm. you can hear how they have like perfected these songs like you can hear it in their muscle memory and jesse l martin there is, I feel like everyone else has, like, one song that they really shine in that I can be like, oh, this is the one that, like, Adam Pascal loves to sing. And Jesse right. L. Martin, it's all of them. Like, all of his songs just, like, took, like, a jump up. And it, ugh, he's just, his voice is so beautiful. He's just yeah. got to do, like, Hulk Hogan, just always cover the hairline, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so once Avenue B is done singing... Uh, Mark and Roger go downstairs, talk to their landlord, Benny, who has come to collect the rent. Uh, in a spoken version of the song, you'll see, with this banter that just truly drives me nuts with how it lives in between the song and a straight conversation. Like, it's it's verbatim, the song, but it's just, and, like, you can hear, like, it wants to, like, fall into it, but, but then they resist it. Um and then eventually they do go back into the song um, and Benny gives his ultimatum. He's going to start collecting rent unless they convince Mark's ex, Maureen, to cancel her protest about the development. Well, OK, that's that's not totally fair way to characterize it. What Benny is offering them is he will let them live there for free and work in a state of the art uh, studio if they talk to Maureen about canceling her protest. 
for in perpetuity, it seems like. Forever. Well, why yeah. would they trust? Okay, first of all, why would they trust Benny? He made a deal with them before, and now he's going back on that. So, what like, was the deal he made with them before to not take rent? That he could, yeah. Huh. Just that. That's not in the text, or it's in the play version. I didn't, I didn't get that. Is it? I think, I think they say I think like, it is. you promised that we could live there oh, for free. This is absurd. We you broke golden. your word. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All right. I mean, still, um, yeah. I'm sure that I'm, I mean, yeah. Can you imagine if you like were like working at Potbelly and you're like giving all your friends free sandwiches, and then one day you're like, "Hey, I'm so sorry, guys, but my manager's <laughs> on my ass. I gotta start charging you for these sandwiches." And then one day you come in and you're like, "Hey, look, you can have free sandwiches forever, and I'll give you a state of the art lab where you can make new sandwiches. But all you gotta do <laughs> is talk to Quiznos about turning off their oven for an hour." <laughs> <laughs> no but it's not like talking to quiznos it's like talking to like your neighborhood sub shop right like that's you do true. there has that's to be true. some element of it that's like they they're selling out this is like right. where right. selling out comes from and that was a big thing in the 90s and i think that's this gave me a lot of 90s nostalgia um it is very the tone of it is very m- much uh melissa etheridge like <laughs> It's like, it's like, it's angsty. It's got some real, like, uh, that don't sell out um, generation yeah. is is heavy in there. I, I love that, like, I feel like um, the outlier becomes the standard, becomes the joke, becomes too, like, it becomes everything that everybody knows. So they forget how important it was to see that yeah. in, when it was the outlier. It's true. I, so I call this the Nirvana effect. Yeah, yeah. Like everybody now. If you yeah, if you were right. to go back and listen to Nirvana for the first time now, you would just be like, "Oh, this doesn't sound like anything." It sounds like everything yeah. else, yeah. right? Right. But you forget that they set the tone for what was to yeah. come, you know, after them. So yeah, I mean, it, I think, and even like, um, because I saw that Lin Manuel was talking about how this was a big inspiration for In the Heights, and I saw In the Heights before I saw this movie. And I'm like, yeah, if I was an 18-year-old, I'd probably have a song about numbers. Uh, I'd probably <laughs> have a song about, you know, there's a guy named Benny. Like, yeah, like, I'm just going to copy the things that I see and make it my own story. That's what you do when you're that age. So, like, um, it, it's it's cool to see its influence, like, even now in that way. Um, yeah. But, so, it's, it's, yeah, I love that. I love the angst because it reminds me of what was happening. Yeah. Also, this part that, like, the fact that it's the 90s and and the internet isn't connecting people in the same way that it is now. And so, like, when people find something like Rent that, like, expresses this sort of non-common, but, like, Mm -hmm. what you think is a non-common viewpoint, but then everyone finds it and then you discover that, like, actually everyone is feeling the same Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. right. That being said, You'll See Boys is like my like fourth or fifth or sixth favorite song on the like it, it's a short little thing with a bunch of dialogue in the middle of it and for some reason I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do um there is something that I wrote down about Tay Diggs doesn't know what to do with his hands. There's like a moment where <laughs> he yeah, he says quietly and he does that like he holds up a finger to shush. <laughs> and like there's something else where he says and he's like it's like awkward. Do you so think it like, was directed? I mean, he's good in Chicago, right? He knows how to like say yeah. yeah. That's what yeah. I mean. Yeah, yeah. 
And Chris Columbus is bad, right? Like that's the yeah. other like he like he's yeah. like Hades is good and the first two Harry Potter right. movies are terrible. So like I think yeah. it stands to reason this is a director problem. In particular, <laughs> like those kids would talk about how like Alfonso Cuaron to talk to Daniel Radcliffe once about like how he was feeling in a scene and Daniel Radcliffe was like, What do you mean? He's like, I he, he's like people just tell me what what to do and how to do it. No one's ever talked to me about how my character is feeling in a scene before. And I was like, oh, that's Columbus. That's how Columbus directs. So yeah, Well, I don't know. here's a great moment for that because nearby, after um, you'll see, a beat-up Collins is found by Angel. And they have, they are very sweet, even though Chris Columbus has once again chosen to remove all the charm out of the interaction. And so instead of like this cute musical banter, they have an awkward spoken interaction. Um, they both share their positive aid status, but like it's not. I mean, like, and it is very sweet. Like, it's a nice meet cute, but it's not like it's sort of just dry and forgettable. I, I must defend as a as the non theater person here that like all the stuff that you and Amanda find awkward that's spoken, I have no problem with because it's just dialogue. Uh, and but that, it's not and that like, like when I was watching it with you, you know, you would be singing all that stuff over the spoken lines to the point where I ended up putting on <laughs> subtitles so I could hear the lines. But uh, <laughs> but it's it's it doesn't offend me that it's spoken. And in fact, my only problem is that they maybe should have rewritten it because it's a little yeah. distracting if you do. This is what I, this is my problem is that like if if that's the direction that you want to take this fine go in that direction and write some nice dialogue that can be spoken and like convey emotion that way but the way that they do it where they just like take the sort of awkwardly phrased stuff that works when it's in a song because like we accept you know weird turns of phrase when they fit in musically they just like take all of that other stuff out and then it's just dialogue but it's awkward dialogue i do appreciate your point though and i'm always so curious about like what that experience is like if you don't have it pinging uh like evoking a song in your head too so it is it is helpful to hear that it is fine i guess (laughs) (laughs) um okay so mark this is where we do also get a moment of mark like being like hey i'm gonna go find collins um but it doesn't really seem like it's for anything also it doesn't tie into anything else it's just an excuse for mark to leave the apartment so that roger can sing one song glory um okay he goes up on the roof and he sings his heart out and we get a backstory in flashback montage which is that roger and his old girlfriend april contracted aids through needle sharing and she later died um in the show this is explicitly that she dies by suicide but here it is left ambiguous um, which I think is interesting because mostly because it reads to me as something that like a studio executive made them polish instead of it was Chris. Col- it was Chris Columbus. Oh my god, Chris yeah. Columbus! Like seriously, he was like he was like it's too dark, it's too sad. Like we filmed the version where they're explicit about how she passed away, and it was too sad, so we cut it out. And I'm like, what do you think you're making, sir? What do you think you're making? Okay, fine. <laughs> I I really because I didn't remember the stage play. I thought she died from AIDS. I just assumed yeah, it was. Right. Yeah. Well, and like, oh yeah, I was reading something about uh Jonathan Larson and his like perspective because he's a cis het non positive uh person who's just sort of like surrounded by people 
who are um, in the middle of this AIDS crisis. And, like, one of the things that he talked about was that they were writing songs and it was, like, too rosy. It was, like, too happy-feely. And they needed to, like, inject some of the, like, some people in the support group are angry or, um, like, vicious about it. Also, to your point, also, I didn't know that... I, until we saw Tick, Tick, Boom, I didn't know that Jonathan Larson was a straight dude who mm-hmm. did not die of AIDS. Also, uh, Tick, Tick, Boom is a much better movie than this, if we uh, can recommend that. <laughs> Amen. I yeah, can't wait. It's great. I'm sure we'll, we're, we'll do an episode about it. Yeah, we will. I can't wait. Oh, this is, this is the first instance of what I was referring to of um, the, the like 10-year perfection bonus. He really lets it fucking go on that first chorus. And, like, you can just hear it. I was, when we watched it the first time for in preparation, I was like, oh, yeah, he's, like, just done Aida. Like, he's had, like, multiple successful Broadway runs. And, and this is Pascal, Adam Pascal. Adam Pascal, In yeah. One Song Glory. A song that he writes about want, really wanting to be able to write one song. a good song. <laughs> a song he writes about wanting to write a song that is infinitely better than the song yeah, that he, he keeps writes. yeah he, he keeps trying yeah exactly he keeps trying to figure he, the song is all about god i wish i could write a song oh, i just don't know how to do it and i don't know how to rhyme and whenever i try it comes out wrong all the time <laughs> and all this stuff <laughs> <laughs> it's just like hey buddy you're doing i don't know if you know this you're yeah. doing it just write that down <laughs> um mimi follows roger back inside first she asks him to light her candle because the power oh, is shit. out and then, uh, <laughs> and then uh, she asked him to help her find her stash, which she dropped in the middle of getting her candle lit. Um, I got no complaints. This is a pretty cute rendition of the song. I, I let's talk complaints. about Rosario. She's Dawson. so good. I think she's, she's so good, so you guys. Good. I I, I find this great. song insipid normally, and this rendition of it is cute yeah. as hell. So I think this song is is kind of the high point of cringe. In, uh-huh. in this in this musical uh because like they're meeting for the first time uh she there, there's all this weird dialogue about like oh so- I'm sorry I was looking at your hair in the moonlight like do you know how weirded out you would be if someone said that to you the first time you were meeting them <laughs> and then also when she says oh the wax it's dripping I like it between my and Roger cuts off his fingers I figured <laughs> it's like, were you about to say on your first time meeting this guy that you like wax between your tits? That's inappropriate, ma'am. And why did he save the moment too? Why was he like fingers? Fingers. <laughs> that's what you mean. No, fingers. Right? He's I like, got no, you. I can't get can't get too horny. She doesn't know how to age. <laughs> right. But also she he's like su- she's super trying to seduce him. Yeah. Uh, which also plays into this, like, you know, uh, when you know, Sam and I were sort of talking about like Oh, well, it must be, you know, in dating with age, you must have to make a point at some a decision at some point about like when are you going to inform a person. Still, it seems like it'd be before you went this hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like talking about how you have I her line. They say that I have the best ass Bela 14th Street is like, I love that. And uh, it was so creepy <laughs> to, to watch her like. Doing that, looking, she's she's like emaciated and she doesn't look 19, but like she does look too yeah. young. And it was, and he looks too old and it was not, I didn't like it. But she's cute as hell here and she's singing the hell out of this song. Well, again, to what I was saying earlier, like, I guess I'm more curious than anything. And you guys would be better to tell me, are there any other musicals that were 
like uh this level of like vulgar or like before so, this certainly after yeah i was i don't i mean like it's like more like tongue-in-cheek hair, right like yeah yeah. yeah, but I mean, she like, did. There's... I mean, she said ass and and was like very much. Yeah. I mean, it it was a little bit more yeah. than just insinuating. Like it was, it was, it's pretty right. heavy. Oh yeah. And I'm like, you know, it happens in movies all the time, so we're desensitized to that. But I'm I'm wondering, like, I don't remember it from the stage if it was as, and I do remember that as the '90s, like to go back to like that, like, uh, one man play thing where people get up there and they go, AIDS. Do you have it? Like that opens the play, you know, like those, those like yeah. in your face moments where they're like the shock of the, uh-huh. the time was, that was like, just to be in your face. So I guess maybe I'm thinking, is this the first kind of thing where that is president a musical? I think that's like, well, so like when you think about Sweeney Todd, like Sweeney Todd right. has a lot of vulgar moments, sure, but true, like, true. I think the fact that it's uh, so current especially at the time, you know, yeah. that's is what sort of makes it feel even more vulgar is that it's not like this, this like cute person in the 1700s being vulgar. It's like someone being vulgar the way they would be vulgar in a modern setting. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. And also like there. So like in this song, we get a lot of like double entendre and mm-hmm. sort of like playful coyness, but, but it's, it's there like along with the really, explicit part and mm-hmm. then as the show goes on like that kind of the like cute coyness fades away a little bit yeah so yeah I, that does that's a really interesting thought i haven't thought about that and like everything i mean certainly everything that i know that is like trying to be evocative in this way or trying to be that like in your face make you uncomfortable about something that is related to sex comes after this right it's definitely the first musical I know where they talk about kinks and go into a yeah. kink club. And like, and... right. And like, like it, like it's right. not, yeah. it's not, it's not like mm-hmm. the butt of a joke. It's right. just yeah. there. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is the butt of a joke. Well, it's the joke of a butt, frankly. It's good. You get both. That was good. That was good. <laughs> I'm proud of everybody on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work. It was good. Okay. So at this moment, I would like to introduce a conversation about timeline because this is the point where we get the first, like, it is explicitly a different timeline than the stage show, which in the stage show, everything in the first act happens December 24th um, in, like, just a very, very brief amount of time. And then the second half is the full next year. Um, Here in the movie, they have taken that first act and sort of spread it out through that whole week. And so this moment uh, is... The liminal week, which I just have a lot of complicated feelings about. I feel like it sort of takes away some of the like the like spark of this night. I don't know. What do you guys think? Right, the like w- like the like one night can change your life is like mm. such a I feel like yes. it's such a thing in your twenties too, right? Yeah. Like when you're sort of in this stage of life, like this night, like tonight is gonna change my whole life. And losing that, I, I agree. I think that it loses something. I remember no day but today being very heavily used by people it, mm-hmm. in in yearbooks, in you know, like mm-hmm. it was all over the place at that time. And so uh, yeah, I can see that being an aspect of that night making it more of an urgent call instead of it being over time it kind of loses mm-hmm. its urgency i i see yeah for me it's the opposite I, I sort of a pet peeve of mine is when too many things happen in a day in a movie or like they sort of seem like they should be spread out like i was like 
I was like the guy who would watch 24 and be like, but when does Jack Bauer sleep? <laughs> you know? It's like, I sort of like when they have time to space out and breathe, you know? <laughs> and also now we get this implication that Angel and Colin spent the night together, which must not happen in the musical. I mean, that is true. So, and that does bring us to the next morning. Um, we get a little nod to the recurrent voicemails of the stage show um, where we get a voicemail from Mark's parents. And this is where I have to say, so without the nagging, grating music that usually carries these messages in, this is a perfectly lovely voicemail that Mark receives from his parents on Christmas morning. And he proceeds to like bitch about them and how much better his life is that he doesn't live there. And like, what the fuck, dude? I, I just, I need, I need it to be better supported in the text if that's the line you're going to take. Like, not only, not only is it that they seem nice and like, even like, even the the thing the dad says where he's like, let Maureen be a lesbian. She doesn't know what she's missing. I'm like, that's not even that bad. That's, that's right. a, da- a dad could have said a way worse thing than that. Um, but <laughs> They sent him a hot plate. They sent him a hot plate and it just seems perfectly nice. And not only does Mark then complain about them right then, but then he gets the line in La Vie Bohème about, uh, <laughs> and to most of all, hating dear old mom and dad. And it's just like, all we have seen is that your parents support you, send you appliances, <laughs> <laughs> and leave you voicemails on Christmas Day while you ignore their calls. And don't even pick up on Christmas Day. <laughs> Savage. 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 And again, like, and some of that's harder because, again, like, Anthony Rapp is 35. And he looks like he's 35, right? Right. Yeah. And like, but yeah. we're, you know, if you're, if you're 22, like, everything you're, I don't know. I mean, maybe I can't speak for anybody else. When I was 22, everything my parents did felt like a huge burden to me, right? <laughs> um, and I and I don't I don't think that I'm like y- totally unique in that experience. And so, so again, some of it is just like he's sort of old for this role, right? And so like when yeah. he's like, oh yeah, hating dear old mom, and I'm like, okay, man, like, <laughs> yeah. do, like all right, I guess. <laughs> it has a bit of a dear Evan Hansen effect in this. <laughs> uh, but then Collins comes in. Merry Christmas, bitches. Uh, Collins introduces Angel, who shows up in her iconic Santa coat and sings her way into all of our hearts with Today for You, Tomorrow for Me. I love I love how at the start of this scene, Angel is just like waiting in the hall for a few minutes (laughs) so that she can have a dramatic entrance. I adore that. I love this idea. I I, want to be a part of the friend group where the, you know, Tom Collins comes in. And before he does, he has to talk with Angel. And he's like, no, my friends are going to love this. You, you got <laughs> to come yeah. in and do the song, man. They're, they're going to love it. I don't care. Seven minutes, you got to do the song. <laughs> yeah, you wait outside. You yeah, can have seven minutes. Just stay here. They're, no, just wait. Trust me. Trust me. I know these guys. They're going to love it. And he's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And now they're friends for life. Because, I mean, if you come in singing that strongly and everybody's into it, like, what else we we share everything now i want to talk for just a second about angel's pronouns because angel is not to our knowledge uh a trans person even though there there wasn't as much language around that at the time and angel is a drag queen and i i kind of think it's like rupaul where like either either one is correct like if you call rupaul he or you call rupaul she you're kind of you're kind of in the clear yeah i've seen um i've seen some performances where the actor playing Angel will sort of say, like, that they are, like, that their Angel is explicitly trans versus a drag queen. But I also really, I think that that's something that is so 
the the text supports all of these different interpretations and like has room for um all of those different portrayals to like all be fully supported and and fit in um that i i just i love that i just wanted to mention that in case we use different pronouns for angel for the rest of the episode i don't want I don't want the woke police to come for my ass on Twitter. <laughs> Greta Thunberg subtweeting me. If Greta Thunberg would like to subtweet our podcast, she is welcome to. She's welcome anytime. We'll do any environmental, uh, you know, musical that she I wants will to do. write an environmental musical if Greta Thunberg wants to come on here. We'll film it with an iPod. Sounds great. <laughs> iPod. Yeah, iPod Touch. Uh, okay. But today for you, tomorrow for me, is a, it's a great song. Uh, we also, so. <laughs> We should at least a little bit mention that the content of the song today for you, tomorrow for me, describes Angel and uh, (laughs) how um, Angel was approached by someone to kill a dog, and and then she (laughs) did. And um, I don't think that we're going to get to it, but later we're going to find out that that was Benny's dog. Yeah. (laughs) That's one of my favorite details. It's so good. It is such a small uh, detail of the plot, and yet definitely our big hero, who are supposed to feel very sympathetic about their death, definitely killed a dog. And, like, that's how, like, they come in with treats for Christmas morning, and that's how they got the money for the treats, was that they went and, they went yeah. and killed a dog. For the crime of barking. Yeah. Also, like, it wasn't a peaceful death, right? Like, no, they, they pushed that dog, dog out of a 23rd story window. I have a question about a lyric in Today for You. Uh, and it is, uh, we agreed on a fee. Uh, $100. Is that it? $200? A thousand guaranteed. Plus a bonus if I trim her tree. What is that? <laughs> well, if you're 14-year-old me in Wisconsin... <laughs> That is, oh, an angel probably helped out around the house. It's Christmas. <laughs> but if you're me now, it's angels a sex worker. All right. Just one to trim her tree has always been a mystifying lyric to me. I, I love how they like, they really like land on it too. It's like, trim her tree. tree with a big wink. And I'm like, yeah, yeah but yeah. what are we saying? <laughs> Maybe now's a good time to mention, like, that's a good example. Now, like, this is a play that I think we have, and I'm not the first person to say this, but like, if Jonathan Larson hadn't died and they would have felt like they could have done a little bit of editing, really could have benefited from that. This play really would have benefited from a second draft. Yeah. One more workshop. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I love that. Yeah. But now people are kind of too afraid to touch any part of it. Um, and, you know, and, the, and now it's fine. Right. Now it's fine. Yeah. You get a little plot dump. After the song, where they establish that Maureen, who is Mark's ex, needs him to come do AV for her protest. LOL, that you call your ex that you dumped to come fix your AV. We've all been uh, there. Right? It's just, I was just like, yeah, I do know people mm-hmm. who would make or receive that phone call. Yeah. <laughs> um, Angel and Collins are going to a life support meeting, and Roger is over it. Um, that's his whole his whole plot right now. Um, we follow... also this is just I'm gonna cut this out, but this is just for you guys. This is my impression of Angel leaving that scene. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute though. 
We learned that it was like it was just uh, will, like Willie doing a take. Like they uh, called cut. And he was like it was like... literally yeah, after Chris Columbus called cut. That was just him exiting the frame. Okay, so we follow Mark to the performance space. We get a long tracking shot through an encampment that sort of serves to establish the world of the neighborhood of people living on the street, which is something that we have lost in the um, adaptation because they dropped all of the interstitial Christmas bells moments. Yeah, it's, um, it's a very, what seems to me a very expensive shot. It is a shot of a full built set with a bunch of extras in this sort of um, tent city. And it's just Mark walking from one location to another. Yeah, and there's no no action happens there. Again, $40 million budget. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can see how they got there. So Mark is... Well, he's walking into the performance space, and who does he Mark find Mark is there? walking into the performance space, um, and we get here an actually great use of the silence of the spoken scenes with Mark's very awkward introduction to Joanne, who is Maureen's new girlfriend. Um, this I do think is like a very effective adaptation. Um, and then Mark and Joanne sing a tango about their mutual frustrations from dating Maureen. It's fantastic. Welcome, Tracy Toms. We're so glad to have you here. <laughs> Midway through the song, Mark She's falls great. and unconsciously hallucinates the back half as a fully staged and costume number, which features the on-screen introduction of Maureen and also some genuinely great dancing. Well, point of order is that Seasons of Love featured the on-screen introduction. Well, we didn't know Maureen. that then. <laughs> uh, but Tango Marine is, to me, to me, there are three, what I call, unassailable bops in this thing. And Tango Marine is the first one of those. Tango Marine is a great song. Yeah. yeah. This is Anthony Rapp's 10-year banger, for sure. Like, he loves singing this, and you can mm. just see it. I also think his tone is, uh, he's got such an interesting tone in his voice mm-hmm. and it blends really well with her voice and it, yeah. they, there can't be a lot of voices that do that with his in that yeah. way like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't uh-huh. have his tone it's almost piercing like it 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 almost will dominate any other tone that it's matched with but for whatever reason them together they they had a beautiful blend too it was, it was, yeah. it was great it was a really great uh performance on screen too and sort of the plot of this song is like he's revealing all the ways that Maureen used to make him feel insecure and she is seeing all of them in, it's like her, in her current breaking. relationship. Yeah. yeah. It's that she's he's the ghost of Christmas past to her, basically. <laughs> uh yeah. I also this was something that Andy said when we were watching, but they like take off their coats and sort of throw them. And Joanne absolutely would not throw her coat. She would find a hanger or a, coat, a chair to drape it over. That would have been better indirect characterization for me is he throws his and she like rolls her eyes, takes off her coat and then puts it on a nice little hanger and straightens yeah. it. Yeah. And then they right. keep doing their tango. Also because her coat looks expensive, right? Yeah. Oh my, she seems like yeah. somebody who She's takes care of her things. Right. right. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So following the tango Maureen, Mark runs into a kind of gym or auditorium that is holding the life support meeting. I love this. And I just wanted to mention that one of the life support members is Aaron Lore, who is a newsie and a bash brother and currently married to Idina Menzel. Who? Aaron Lore is his no, name. Who's he married to? Oh, um, Adele Dezim. You, you may know her. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> this is <laughs> this is a scene where uh, there are just like touching performances from the group members. 
and uh, Chris Columbus has clearly chosen to like lean into what the reality of that kind of meeting might be like. But I really miss the energy of a song carrying us through here. And I think that the when they do eventually transition into the song, like I think it's really awkward and it, it just doesn't work for me. At is all. this Will I Lose My Dignity? Um, no, this is the first the... one. Okay. This is the first one. This is the one where the guy um he's like, I'm a New Yorker. How do you feel Here's today? My life. Yeah. Well, they don't but they don't yeah. So like you have just like this very normal conversation. I think that this song and its various reprises, of which there are like many. Um, to me, I mean, to me, this is like sort of the emotional heart of this whole show, like more than seasons of love to like, to, you know, to me. And I, and I think that was part of the reason, I guess, why I found the staging and the choice to make that into dialogue disappointing. Cause it really, part of it is it makes the song feel really short, (laughs) um, when so much of it is spoken and I don't know. And right. Like it's so, and actually, so I went back and watched the 2019 live version and it's the staging in that is much more powerful, I think, than it is, than it is here. Um, and so I guess this is, this is one of the parts of the movie that I sort of, that falls a little bit flat for me because I think it's a really powerful song. And when it's staged well, um, I really, I think that it's sort of, and the fact that it does keep coming back, um, it makes it clear that it's, you know, really it's something that it, the movie wants you to care about it, but it's not, I don't know it's not quite there that's interesting because i definitely think of it as like an interlude track almost uh and not like a full song and what what song is right after this um out tonight oh see i mean okay <laughs> so in between tango marine and out tonight you have the space to to, to do things a little slower if you wanted so like i i get the instinct that it is sort of sort of a sleepy time and that maybe to make it shorter for a movie like that that is an instinct that I do like, but you do have the room between those two absolute pop bangers to to take a little time slower if you want. So yeah, yeah. I, I see how it can be more powerful. Um, for, so yeah, from the life support meeting, we are going to visit the Cat Scratch Club, where Mimi performs out tonight. First, kind of diegetically, as if it's like part of her performance, and then um, we also follow her, and she continues singing as she walks home from work. And just goes right into Roger and Mark's apartment via the fire escape. And we get that same kind of classic transition into another day where Roger rebuffs her. And then um, that song ends in the mashup of another day and no day but today. Um, I think this is another sequence where Rosario Dawson is shining. Uh, She like she does a great job capturing that energy of of leaving a shift or like a job where you have gotten all pumped up with performance energy and then you're just like on your own and left to deal with it. And like, you can just see her like unleashing that and just singing like for herself. This song is without a doubt the, maybe the biggest bop in the whole show. And it's, it is, is definitely an unassailable bop. Uh, And it's uh, whenever I heard the first time I heard this song, I was like, man, pink could record that today Mm -hmm. and it would be a hit. It sounds like a very like, like latter day, latter aughts or early teens pink song to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And man, it, it rules. It absolutely rules. I also want to shout out Rosario Dawson's vowels. When she says <laughs> no day, but today, she just, she really resists the urge to flatten out that today. <laughs> and it's, it's beautiful. It's some really great work. I guess, first of all, I do have a question though about <laughs> it. Um, this would be my second lyric question. 
And it's, again, this is my favorite song in the musical, but I, there's one line that I don't understand at all. And it's near the end of the song when she says, I'll let you make me out tonight. What do we think that means? Is, does it mean make out with me? See me? I'm getting a lot of I, like, just as confused as I am faces. In this yeah. yeah. I, I, I've always thought of it as like, make it with me. Okay. And does she know about the AIDS thing? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> I mean. Okay, so can I say though, like, I feel like in the movie it's not totally clear, right? Because the movie suggests that these that there's some prior relationships here that are not suggested in the stage show, right? Like Mark yeah. immediately knows who Mimi is, um, and suggests that I think that they like some of them knew Angel already, and so there's so if we're assuming that, then maybe she does, right? Like if oh, she true. does have these like, I, yeah. I, again, I don't know. It's not made explicit, but it seems at least possible in the world of the movie that she already does know. So, yeah, after the song, as we mentioned, we get the song. Uh, what, what is the song called, actually? The next song. Another Day. Another Day. Uh, that, like, this, again, all the Adam Pascal stuff is hard for me in the musical, but but the the parts, like, that starts, so, so this song starts with Who Do You Think You Are barging in on me and my guitar, which is, which is, it's hard for me. God, bless. <laughs> uh, but then it's worth it for me for the Rosario Dawson parts in this song, which which I like. This song is in my regular playlist because I really like the parts of the Rosario Dawson parts of it, and it's worth. Who do you think you are, barging on me on my guitar? <laughs> um, but so then when it ends, Rosario is down on the street singing up to him, and then Mark, Angel, and Collins come up from behind Rosario and are sort of supporting her and singing with her. And we have never seen them meet or know each other right. at yeah. all. Uh, I mean, I think we can assume that maybe Mimi and Angel know each other from the street. from from Because like when, we, when they walk into Maureen's thing, we see her, Mimi and Angel like scream and say hi to each other like they're old friends. Yeah. But it's just really weird that they're down here like, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, you should be nicer to, to what's your name again? <laughs> Mimi. <laughs> <laughs> I also I hate that they um they keep shooting everyone's in separate shots. Like they refuse to do like a composite shot, which just drives me nuts because the whole point of this is about community coming together. I did tell Steph that it could have used that knives out, that last shot in knives out where like he's up there and she's down here all in one shot. Like <laughs> yeah. that it could have benefited from that. <sighs> Alas. Alas. So it's the next morning and Benny has left a voicemail. That his offer expires tonight. Um, and then we see the life support group sing Will I, which uh, is just this beautiful round. And uh, underneath that, Roger, we see Roger decide that like, he does, in fact, need some help. And he comes to the meeting and he joins the round. I wish Chris Columbus had done anything with this. Another just like very powerful musical moment that is like, nothing also roger doesn't come in the stage show right he doesn't come to the yeah. to the support group ever and i think that's an interesting choice that like and i and i don't i don't know that the movie earns it mm-hmm. well it's probably rather than it being an effect in the movie it's probably a cause to make him more sympathetic so that he has kind of a higher ground to stand on when mimi gets back into drugs later i guess maybe I don't mm-hmm. know. maybe yeah. from a screenplay right. yeah perspective. you know no yeah right he's treating himself he's like right he's taking care of himself yeah yeah but yeah, none of the none of the support group songs uh, really do anything. They're they're not on my playlist. I thought that this one was the the most impactful for me. Not remembering 
the play as much. I thought this one was, it got me some feels. So it it did something. The best harmonies in the whole show for the record. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Man, maybe that's what it was, but yeah. And And it's basically just rounds, right? Yeah, Yeah. which is why, okay, here's my like little uh, musical, like why I love this song musically is that it's like these people who are supporting each other with just what they have, but then you put their individual lines into a round and you see how like it all builds into this sort of mutual um, Mm. harmony moment. Mutual harmony is like a a shitty band name. Um, (laughs) But like, but right. It's so, it's so powerful, like in the music too. Um, And I do, I did notice one thing, which is that they do that, um, that like movie sound editing thing, which is when the camera like gets closer to someone, they'll bring that person's level Uh, up more in the mix. And I do, I did really like that. I mm. thought that that was a nice moment. All right. I just looked at the clock. We have to move on. Uh, Okay. We're gone. Um, Okay. So after they leave the meeting, Mark films a cop harassing a woman uh, who then yells at him for filming her for his own benefit. Great moment. I'm glad they kept it in. Um, they grab the train, and Colin sings about a dream future in Santa Fe. Love the staging on the train. Love the vocal performances. I can also acknowledge that if this were reality, it would be a nightmare scenario for everyone else on that train. But it's not. It's a musical, and that's why we love musicals. Yeah, if this were reality before Colin started singing, he would say, Excuse me, can I have everyone's attention, please? <laughs> He'd like right. put and then he'd go hat. around with the bucket afterwards. Yeah. And then after the train, Angel and Colin sing I'll Cover You, and they dance through the park about their love, and it's actually perfect. It's very sweet. I, the way in that, in the, there's a moment where like he sort of non verbally asks to hold her hand, and it's, oh, I love it. This is that, like, they've been doing this for 10 years together. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, And there's also a moment where they buy Collins a new coat, which is, like, a nice nod to something that is more expanded in the show. That, Um, which is that it's the coat that the people stole off of him when he was mugged. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Here's my Uh, question. Is, Is that his dignity? Is that, is that, like, him regaining his dignity? Hmm. Oh, interesting. I mean, because he does basically become homed again at that point. Mm-hmm. At that, yeah. Mm-hmm. That does seem like some Jonathan Larson shit. Yeah. All right. I'm glad I stopped with momentum. Let's go. <laughs> no, I loved it. <laughs> so Roger then goes and finds Mimi, who is meeting her plug. Uh, they're on the way into Maureen's show, and Roger invites Mimi to dinner afterward. Maureen arrives on a motorcycle. And performs her protest song "Over the Moon" about how capitalism and hyper modernization <laughs> is doing. So, look, I love this number. All four of us are shaking our heads right now. I don't like. Love I it. don't. It's not like this song is about something. <laughs> no. Listen, as a comedian, this this is like the height of every best performance I want to have. It's like, <laughs> Yes. Me saying everybody moo with me and everybody moves <laughs> is like with like but but over the top like a moon coming down like just all <laughs> the of the mouths it, behind her all of it I love it the and crowd I, loves it right like the, everyone the crowd has so never seen it. they've never seen a motorcycle <laughs> no way she could do that without four how do we get one. <laughs> 
the best single shot in this movie. This is not a, a interestingly shot movie, but there's a great shot in this song, and it's when she is suckling from the udder, and <laughs> Chris Columbus shoots her from above, looking yeah. looking up, and the, her shadow is behind her, sort of forming this spider with her body, and it's really great. It's it's wild performance art. It's like like Amanda, yeah, this is exactly the thing that it would impress a fourteen year old. You know yes, what I mean? Yes. Yeah. It's so it's over the top is what it should be called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It I is... really do recommend the Vanessa Hudgens rendition of this. Like it's really it's like incredible. It's incredible yeah. art. Yeah, I did watch that at the time and I, and I frankly none of it stuck with me, but I'll get you. Yeah, we'll rewatch it. Um also Andy pointed out earlier to me that this is the one song that was performed live. Which is and to not, say, she's not lip syncing. Oh. Yeah, it's not like pre-recorded. Yeah. Oh, because I, right? I'm sure it's the type because of thing where like, she is doing wild things in every take that are different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Also, she's like capital I, capital M, Idina Menzel at this. I'm point. sorry. So you like... mean capital A, capital D, Adele Dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really impressed by your commitment to this. By the way, <laughs> for t- for two episodes in a row now. <laughs> right. That was an accident. It's Adele Dizzy month. On MTMPH. <laughs> M- MPH, the podcast. Muth Muth. Muth That's right. That's right. Retirement um, also, we haven't talked Muth about Muth. how Joanne is running the spotlight, which is just such a... I mean, I say this as a, a girlfriend who is frequently conscripted running into stage spotlight. management. <laughs> yes, yes. I just love that. It's a great touch. She's like, I have a law degree. <laughs> and I'm up here on a spot. So as the song ends, the cops arrive and start a riot like they do. Mark captures some footage and he sells it to the news. Maureen is thrilled. Uh, The team reconvene, the team, they all, uh, reconvene at the Life Cafe, which is uh, a real life cafe from the area um, that has been, you know, redepicted. And following a brief exchange with Benny, who was also there for some reason, that's where Benny's going to take investors right yeah um, to the life they, cafe <laughs> you guys are gonna love this you guys are the, just the gonna... pasta with meatless <laughs> balls you gotta try it. um everyone vents their pent-up emotion with a celebration of their vivo m roger and mimi share their status and have a sweet oops we're falling in love moment in the snow and then they come back in and rejoin the party for a little reprise okay wait let's talk about la vie bohem because it is um it's it's way too early 20s for me to like still love it but it's very catchy it's very good it's it's like a sort of almost pattery type song where things are happening fast and furious and it's also listing a lot of things that i did not know were like bohemian culture like peewee herman (laughs) right right the two comedians listed are Pee Wee Herman and Lenny Bruce, which makes sense. But, <laughs> but I do think that in in choosing those two comedians, Jonathan Larson like got you. I mean, yeah, that is the two spectrums <laughs> right. for me. Right. Yeah. In, inside every man, there's two wolves, and one is Lenny Bruce, and one is Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but like, <laughs> but like, absolute, like an absolute. A bohemian thing? I think of Absolute is an expensive vodka, but I know my right? brothers liked it in college around this time. Okay, things I want to shout out in this rendition are Mark is wearing the Mark sweater, which is fun. This is like, that's like his costume on the show, mm-hmm. is the sweater that he wears here. Um, I want to shout out Idina Menzel's butt, which gets a very beautiful, uh, just, it's a well, you, you, they really earned that butt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I was uh, thinking, is was that a real butt? I mean, it I, is her right? real butt. Yeah. Okay. And okay. it's like, and I, I think it was always her butt on damn. stage too. You know. Oh, okay. Yeah. They didn't have like someone come in, swap them well, out real quick. Yeah, yeah no I didn't know double. if it was that or yeah. If they you like had see her face like... in the shot. That's true. That's we true. Yeah. we can get our our friends that work at Mr. Skin on the case here. <laughs> yeah, I For, former guests of the show or work at Mr. Skin, <laughs> so we can check this out. The other thing I wanted to shout out is that there's a line that has always. Just I've never understood it, which is when they yell out eight BC at one point. Yeah, Did you look it up? Yeah. I looked it up. Eight BC was a club and performance space in the East Village for two years from like nineteen eighty three to nineteen eighty five. And like I think straight up it's just he like put his favorite stage into this collection of things. Yeah, and like it sure. it's like with me here if I had just been like I don't know, what's my favorite stage? The Laugh Factory. <laughs> um, I mean, do, do you think he tried CBGB and he's like, ah, oh, it doesn't fit the scheme. Doesn't fit the yeah. rhyme scheme. Yes, I do. That's anyway. all. Also, there's a little, there's that little shout out to Sondheim, which uh, did hit differently mm-hmm. now after he's passed and also after watching Tick, Tick, Boom and seeing like, that like, little. Yeah, that they had a little interaction. Act two. Act two. So Seasons of Love replies, plays over some more of Mark's footage that feels like it's supposed to be about the passing of time and like they're developing relationships. But then it brings us back in time and it's New Year's Eve. So Mm -hmm. um, in the morning, they come home to find that Benny has padlocked them out and sold all their stuff. Angel breaks the padlock with a trash can. Some genuinely delightful drunk acting. And Mark is going to have to sell out to Buzzline, the sleazy tabloid show, so that he can afford to get some rent. For Where them. Sarah Silverman works. And so Mark Apparently. and Joanne are going to go meet Sarah Silverman. Who I remember uh, uh, seeing on Conan years ago, like probably late night, the, the first Conan show, uh, her talking about auditioning for this and how she had to sing in her audition and stuff, because probably they didn't, maybe they didn't know if they were, if every if it was going to be sung through at the time, the way that the stage show is, but, sure, uh, yeah. but yeah. And then she does not sing anything and barely has lines. So yeah, so they're going to meet Sarah Silverman. Uh, she works for Buzzline, which is like, um, I don't like, uh, what's the, why like, can't I think of like a TMZ. TMZ? It's like a TMZ. Yeah. Um, and Buzzline purchases Mark's soul for $3,000 a segment, which is a pretty good deal. Maureen and Joanne are arguing about the fact that Maureen was hitting on Sarah Silverman's secretary during the meeting, and uh, to get out of the argument, they get engaged, which is obviously <laughs> yeah, uh, a great okay. idea. Yeah, um, problems. And Mark is, like, standing there 10 feet away. Yeah, it's these shots. Like, it's just a close-up on Joanne. And then all of Maureen's shots have Mark in the bat in the background. Just, like, like sort of staring at them. Right. <laughs> it's great. So then we go to uh, an engagement party that Joanne's parents have thrown her. Um, and Maureen is flirting out her discomfort. And uh, they get to... With a bartender. And they get to live everyone's breakup dream of dramatically wailing it out in perfectly dissonant harmony <laughs> in front of and take me or leave me. This is the third unassailable bop of mm-hmm. the play. This song is incredible. This song is and so good. This is uh like like 
Over the Moon does have some 10-year banger energy, but this is Idina's real 10-year banger. Like, if you do an A-B to the Broadway, like, it's there just is no comparison. Where she's singing out a lot more now. Yeah, and, like, she, and, like, just, you can hear, like, her voice is, like, just a little bit, her tone's, like, a little bit richer, and, like, she's just more, it feels weird to say confident, because I'm not going to imply that she was ever not confident, but, like, you can just feel, she's just, like, a level above. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's a, a moment for at the start of this, Maureen just like goes to a rando and says, "Excuse me, can you hold this?" And like makes a rando <laughs> hold her drink. I want that before starting the song. Life. Yeah, it's yeah. There, there's no reason. <laughs> this whole song's great. Everyone has great reaction shots. Mm-hmm. Like especially Mimi <laughs> has Mimi. really great reaction shots throughout. Yeah, her um, first reaction shot is there's no concern. There's like when they start fighting, she just gets. A big look of excitement on her face that they're fighting. Right. <laughs> well, then, and then at the end when she goes, "Wow, <laughs> wow. Like, it's yeah. so good, yeah. <laughs> so good." It reminds me yeah. of in Life Aquatic when uh, uh, Owen Wilson and Bill Murray are walking through the boat, arguing. They walk through, and Willem Dafoe is in a hot tub, and he just gets a big smile on his face, and he goes, "Are you guys fighting?" <laughs> <laughs> That's the energy that Rosario Dawson has in this. <laughs> Okay, so now we're back at the apartment. Benny has returned their shit, and he has a new lease for them that goes through Cyber Arts, which is the Cyber Arts. Um, He also, the company, he also dropped some tea that he and Mimi had a thing once upon a time, so Rogers gets all up in his feelings about it. Um, But it was two years ago. It was two years ago. When Uh, she was a minor. Mimi was 17. When she was 17. not uh, better. I did not pick up on that. That's yeah. It's like, did she live in that place by herself when she was seventeen? Maybe that she does feel like someone who could have like been having to be squatting on her herself. own for a while. Yeah. Um. But so because Roger's in his feelings, Mimi sings "Without You," um, with over a montage basically of like the next few months. So we see Mimi getting increasingly isolated. She's using more frequently. Um, this is where we get those shots of the life support group um, fading away and or slowly losing members. Um, and then this is also the song that ends with Angel's death. Um, there is, importantly, there's a song in the stage show that like bridges that called Contact, which is where everyone fucks on stage. Oh. And then that is the song that ends in Angel's death. Um, oh. Again, Chris Columbus thought that it was two something, I guess. Oh, I can uh, kind of remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. They do. They do do it in the 2019 thing. So uh, I, yeah. if, if you're I looking see for that. it. Yeah. It's weird how much this musical has in common with Avenue Q because they're both about living in New York in your early 20s on the, on the letter streets. Right. <laughs> and there's a song where everyone fucks on stage in Avenue Q. And that's all I can picture is you can be as loud as the hell you want when you're making love. <laughs> I it's not not that song. Yeah, all right. For right. the record. Um so yeah, I this is it's sort of an effective montage. Um, yeah, a lot so happens. It, it like it does a lot of telling not showing but it is but like it's technically showing because it's a montage this ends in angel's funeral um it is on halloween there are several very touching uh eulogies 
And then and they end with Collins singing a reprise of I'll Cover You that has yet to fail to destroy me. Sure, even on our our rewatch. Like our second rewatch. We watched this we watched this movie twice within the last week and like earlier today. I I can't. I can't. He is another one too, or like he has done um he makes a lot of great choices like making it a, a smaller for the camera performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but like doesn't no one sacrifices like the the big singing moments. Not least of all Tracy Toms, who uh She's incredible. I mean, yeah, just like so has good. a moment here. And also like Here, wait, I can do... I talk about the moment yeah, that you were okay, talking about? Go. It's that he like uh, Colin sings this whole thing and then it gets to the chorus and Tracy Toms takes over for the lead and she mm-hmm. Which, but like the reality of that is, Collins is eulogizing, and then Tracy Thomas just like, "Hey, I'm gonna take a solo from the crowd here." <laughs> <laughs> so what I will say too, though, is that I do, I even like it in the moment because no, in yeah. the moment it's sort of like her saying, "Not, nah, we're still here for you. We like we this. still got yeah. you." Yeah, yeah. Sure. But also, also it is. I'm gonna, take, I'm gonna take a solo. He's had you know all these years on Law and Order to learn how to work for a camera. So they cut the part, though, where they talk, because, like, Benny pays for the funeral, and they cut that. And I just want to say that I think that the movie sort of does Benny dirty, and I'm not, yeah. like, defense of Benny. Like, I'm not going to, like, offer, like, an impassioned defense of Benny as a character. Mm-hmm. But, like, in the show, he, like, he pays for the funeral. He pays for Mimi to go to rehab, right? And all of that gets excised from this, and I don't totally know why. There needs to be a reason for why Benny is there and why we care about him as a part of this group. And yeah, the movie right. doesn't have that. It doesn't even really connect. I mean... It, it is mentioned that he was once a part of it, but there's never, like you're saying, anything that really connects him to it. Not even in like a, uh, I wish I was still a part of that group thing that should be there. Yeah. Right. And even when he do- is connected with them again, it's because he's back with Mimi somehow, even though we know he has yeah. a wife. Right. <laughs> he's like with, with Mimi at this funeral. Yeah. And yeah. his wife, I guess, is is just at home. Like, what are you getting dressed up for? I got business deals at the Life Cafe. I'll see you later. <laughs> Can I mention real quick because we talked about um, Jesse L. Martin being on Law and Order is that they had to have his character get shot in the line of duty so that he could take time off to do this movie. Mm. Yeah. And also, you know, he's he's on the order side, I believe. He's and Tracy Toms, I think, is on the law side. Right. Uh, and so they work together there. But his partner on the show is Jerry Orbach. And he said that Jerry Orbach gave him a lot of tips before he left about doing musical comedy. Cause you know, Jerry Orbach has a long history on the stage. Of course we're talking about Lumiere, etc. Uh, and he gave him a lot of tips on how to do musical comedy, which to me is just the nightmare that like the older <laughs> actor I'm working with is going to come knock on my dressing room door and be like, heard you going to do rent. And I'm like, yeah, I actually have been doing it for 10 years. Yeah. 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 Let me give you some tips. <laughs> I'm just thinking about Jerry Orbach now. R.I.P. She said she uh, does this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> just occasionally slip into some pining for Jerry Orbach. Um, okay, so after the funeral, the various tensions in the group explode, and Roger leaves for Santa Fe. Maureen and Joanne do share a sweet like reconciliation moment. Um, and then we smash cut to what you own, which is the act two mirror to rent. 
And it features our second montage of the last 20 minutes where Roger uh, goes to Santa Fe and comes back having figured out that Santa Fe won't solve all of his problems. Um, I really think that the romance at the heart of this story is Roger and Mark and that this song is the proof. Wait, but <laughs> like Seth, this... what, did, what did you say? He goes to Santa Fe to do what? Uh, oh, to star in a cigarette commercial <laughs> is maybe how I put it originally because that is in- entirely how Santa Fe is shot here. Like every like the first shot of him and this is him in the convertible whipping around the corner in the desert, and then there's shots of him like walking out on a mountain ledge and standing there with his hands on his hips. And he's got like he's got that like long flowing hair too, which why like yeah okay. And also to to your point earlier, Amanda, like it's too much light for uh, Adam (laughs) Pascal's face for that. Yeah. Yeah. Really, again, like things thinking about like this is an adaptation and cutting things out from the stage show. So in the stage show, it is explicit, or Mark, I guess, sort of accuses Roger of leaving because he doesn't want to watch another one of his lovers die, right? That he sees that Mimi is getting really sick and he doesn't want to watch her die. That's left out of this. And so it sort of just looks like Roger just, like, bops off to Santa Fe because, like, why not? I heard it's really nice this time of year. Like, in the way that 25-year-olds do, but is, right, is a really different reason. It's really really different. The fact that the whole emotional climax of this is just, like, like, there's a shot when he's leaving, when Roger is leaving, we see Mark, like, look after him, sort of, in a, like, you're gonna let our bromance die. Um, yeah. And then, like, the resolution in this song is both of them just, like, power singing at each other about how they're not alone anymore. I, also, this song is it. great as, like, as like a Jimmy World fan, right? Like, this is the best song <laughs> yeah. in the musical, yeah. IMO. <laughs> like... It really is that kind of thing. It's, like, a very 1990, <laughs> like, song that you would hear on a on a like um like adult rock station um this is also where we get mark doing like he he should be talking into a phone quitting but instead he's just yelling off the roof alexi i have to do my movie i'm sorry it's like you you have to tell her that that's not how you can't just, it's not, you can't yeah, just yell, like, I, I know you don't have see. email yet but you can't do that yeah <laughs> Like if if nothing else, but you got to be on the roof. At least show us you're putting it onto a carrier pigeon's leg. Right, and letting it go. Just throwing a bottle off the roof, <laughs> and it goes into the, the Hudson, the uh, yeah. Hudson River. So we have reached our finale. It's our third montage uh, in a row, and this time it is a montage of voicemails where we learn that Mimi is now missing. She's likely living on the street. And uh, we come to December 24th, 1990 this time. Uh, Mark is prepping to screen his footage from the last year. He's got like a big white sheet hanging from the wall, universal sign of a movie screening. Um, And Collins returns from, it's not just explicit, but like some kind of alone time after Angel's death. Um, And then... Uh, Maureen and Joanne appear and they've found Mimi. Um, they all bring her up into the apartment. She is not doing well. She's on the verge of death. And so they put her on the metal table in, in the kitchen <laughs> instead of the bed. There, Why? Yeah, there's a line where someone goes, the, there's stuff on the couch. And Roger go, or, uh, Mark goes, oh, put her on the table, which right. is cold <laughs> Why? steel. What? You couldn't possibly move the stuff off the no, couch. No, no, no. They do have to move stuff off the table, too. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. What was on the couch? Unless it was another couch, <laughs> it was an, there's no another excuse. another body. 
<laughs> Actually. Put it on the couch. We can't. There's more couches. They cut, they cut out that All Benny couches. paid for Angel's burial, so that's still, Angel's just still on the couch. Like, that's the their guy on the couch. <laughs> oh. It's a much darker interpretation of, of the guy on the couch than half-baked. <laughs> They, okay, so they put her on the mental table instead of the bed. Um, so she passes out in Roger's arms as Roger is finally singing the song that he's been writing for a year. And it and is it's, a song. And it's, and it's fine. Good. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's the worst song uh, on the show. It makes me yeah. so sad that she yeah. dies during it because I really want her to just be able to like sit there on the verge of death and be like, that was, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well don't worry it's just for a second that she's died and then um she'll come back to life there's no yeah. reason for it it's just because that's not the ending that they wanted this movie to have yeah. um or the show and so she comes back to life and she tells them that she saw angel in the warm white light and uh then they all watch mark's footage while singing no day but today oh yeah that's that's, that's sort of my favorite part of it is that mimi has just died for a second They've all had this horrible scare. And as they're sort of coming out of it, Mark, just without asking anybody, starts his movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, like again, hey, is this still a good time for this? <laughs> These are all things that, like, work on a stage show. When the whole thing is music, the whole thing is rock opera, it's, like, a level of heightened, and you can just accept the, like, absurdity of what might happen. But this scene is not that. This scene is Mimi's dying on a metal table, right? And then Mark is like, ooh. Mark, yeah. Mark's Love. like, ooh, damn. All right, what y'all all been waiting for? Here we go. <laughs> Love your feedback. <laughs> damn, that's going to be a tough one. All right, here we go. Let's see. All right, and if you guys have any connections, Mimi too, you're, while you're alive, please. <laughs> that's it. That's the show. That's the show. I am always amazed at uh, musical adaptations ability to figure out what to do with the second act. I feel like that's usually where you lose every musical. And I think this one did a fairly good job of keeping the pace in the second act, but um, even songs are best when shorter and they didn't do that in this movie. They didn't go short. I mean, like any time that they could have cut a corner, I guess that speaks to what you all were saying with, and I didn't know that he died before it came out, but having that second edit um, after it came out and getting to workshop it once it's out. Um, but it, yeah, like it's 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 long already as a musical. And then to be able to keep the pace of it, I thought was, you know, it's pretty good for all of the um, director's flaws. I thought that part of it was pretty good and hard to do. Because the majority of the adaptations and musicals that I've seen are not good at that. Yeah. Like, you really do need to yeah. stand up and go walk around. And <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. And if you're not going to give your audience that, then you need to, like, account for their different energy levels. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, should we move on uh, to the future uh, before we get out of here, before we break this I up? I can't wait. Um, I can't wait. So I guess, like, well, let's talk about if we were going to do this again. Um, I guess we can talk about, I mean, first of all, I guess the first question I want to ask you guys is, what would you think, I mean, it's sort of a tradition now, or not a tradition, but a trend that you make like this movie, but it's 25 years later. And like, what are these guys up to now? There's like Clerks 2 and 3. There's like, you know, before sunset, before sun, uh, midnight, you know, and like, 
is that interesting? Is that is that an interesting idea at all to check? A in lot of them are they're dead, right? Like a lot of them died. I, I don't know this, but so so this was written when ninety two, like nine ninety ninety one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, and it's it, set in eighty nine. Yeah. When was when was Real World Pedro? Oh, Ooh. I think that, I think that's around that. I think same it's time. like concurrent. Yeah, because I'm thinking like if he's talking about he wants to reach the MTV world, like is he just really watching the real world? And he's like, okay, we're gonna need cameras. <laughs> we're gonna be like, we have to uh-huh. shoot everything in real time, but we also got to talk about like the issues that are going on because I feel like there's there probably is a very close connection. It is '94 to... that that happens. Yeah. So yeah, okay, yeah. They cut the song where Roger eats Mark's peanut butter with his pinky. <laughs> the very specific reference that I'm sure I made. That was nice. That was nice. But I am curious about a sequel that's called Owned, where like they all now, <laughs> they all now like have to have jobs and stuff, you know, and they're just like they're so like beat down by this jobs they've had to have to. Okay, pay their wait. Kids. Can I? This is sort of an. Int- I was reading something about how. One of the reasons that millennials do- are, have not become more conservative as we've aged is that the reason that that happens in previous generations is that, like, as you become more entrenched in the status quo, you want to preserve it more. And millennials are like, nah, fuck this shit. Yeah. Um, I sort of wonder about how um, for these people, for these characters, they would sort of like be part of that, right? Like they're not, Benny is sort of the one who grows up and has started to own things. And like that has made him have to compromise on a lot of his values. And I wonder how many of these characters like just would have resisted that. Well, so, and also Mm. there's never any resolution about the Benny stuff and about the rent and about the cyber arts lab and all this stuff. None of that is resolved mm-hmm. in the movie. I think even in the play. Uh, mm-hmm. But so, yeah, so we don't really know what they do. And, and this whole thing that's set up as the conflict of the whole show is never resolved. Um, anyway, that being said, let's just talk about if we were to cast this now. Is there an interesting stuff that jumps out at you? Amanda, you have Tom thoughts. Tom Holland is Mark. <laughs> Tom Holland. I want I want Tom Holland to be Mark. It's all I want him like in my whole life. That'd be great. He has such weird anxious yeah. energy and that's like perfect. Uh-huh. That's what Mark uh-huh. is. This I do think this would be the the perfect time to finally talk about Ben Platt. <laughs> okay. I think Ben Platt He's could be a little old. a little too old to be Mark. Yeah, man. He's like our age, isn't he? No, he's like no, he's like uh, 26, 27. No. He's 29. He's rough 20. 29. Yeah. He could All right, we have to cut this out. We want Ben Platt to be a yeah. friend of ours someday, but <laughs> it looks rough. That's not, that's a surprising yes. number to me. You know, also I'm realizing that some of this is like, I don't want my 35-year-old ass to be making these decisions. <laughs> like, I can recognize that I am... 35 is the youngest that would make this decision, though. Like, yeah. Chris Columbus but, like, is probably 55, 60 when he made these decisions. And to look make what this the movie. movie he made. <laughs> so you admit it. Oh my God, she admit it. Um, <laughs> well, let's 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 move. We're we're over time, so let's let's just move on to the uh, our final feature here, which is you know you guys know this that when you remake a musical, you got to do a new song to uh, add to it to try and win that best original song Oscar. Uh, so when I wanted to add a new song to this, I the, 
the point that I think most needs a new song is when Mimi is dying and Roger says, this is the song that I've wrote. We need to cut the song that he does and put in a completely new song there. And I was talking to Steph about that. I was talking to Steph about that. And I was like, I was like, you know, that song just needs to be better. And then I realized, or it needs to be way, way worse. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Which is sort of the other way you could go with it. And so I wanted to write a new song that's like, what would someone like Roger, who has failed to make an impact in punk and rock scenes throughout the 80s, what was he? What were those people in the music industry actually doing in 1991? Um, and that's how I, uh, threw, bravely through COVID, wrote and recorded wow. this song. Uh, wow. And, you know, so if it sounds like it was written by someone with COVID brain, maybe it was. I don't even want to say the name of it until we get outside of it, but... Just picture Mimi's dying um, and Roger looks deep in her eyes and tells her to wait so he can do this song for her and, and it goes like this. Girl, look at that butt when you walk on by. Your buh buh butt, well, it caught my eye. I want a slice of that butt like a pumpkin pie. Guess what? Your butt, not a breast or thigh. Thigh. Roger, maybe we should just let her rest. I said your big old butt. Well, it's driving me mad. I'll befriend your butt. Make it my butt comrade. Gonna sketch your butt on my big notepad to keep your butt in the fridge so it doesn't go bad. (laughs) Maureen, sing the chorus for me. What? No. Okay, I'll do it myself. Knock, knock, it's me at your back door. I'm making a cake and I'm looking for some help, but I don't need flour or nuts. Girl, can I borrow a cup of butt? 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 Okay, that was great, Roger. Let's move on. Beatboxing solo. She's convulsing. You're killing her. Roger, do something. I am. I'm doing the cabbage patch. Mimi, go to the light. It's better there. Okay, there it is. Can I borrow a cup of butt? The The dumbest song I have written for this podcast is definitely. It is. It's the best. That's the best one you've written for this so far. It's phenomenal. Thank you. As a fan, that means a lot. Just remember, if you didn't like that, if you wanted something deeper for Rent, I'm sorry I had COVID this week and this is the best I could do. Um, can I borrow? Wait, who who are the other voices? Uh, I mean, it, as far as characters? Yeah. It was, no, were all the voices you? Uh, except for Steph oh, was, was Maureen. He didn't, was he didn't okay. tell me anything. He like wrote out words on a note and was like, here, record these. Just say this. And yeah. then at the end, he was like, no, be more desperate about it. Yeah. Steph had no idea that the song was called Can I Borrow a Cup of Butt? I literally was just like, come in and say these lines. Okay, now leave the room. Um, and so and so the awesome. other voices are like Mark and Maureen trying to get him to to uh, move do on and, and do anything because Mimi is dying even more because of this Can song. Can we visit the, the kayfabe of the song where Mimi like sort of twitches and dies and Roger's like, ooh, just a sec and has to like reach over for his synthesizer <laughs> so he can start his <laughs> He's been waiting. He's been waiting for this moment. 
Can I borrow a cup of butt? Uh, <laughs> and and good for you, good for you, Andy. <laughs> Thank you. I really soldiered on. It's um, really inspired. <laughs> Golly. And there's only one place where you can find the songs that we do here on Musical the Movie the podcast, and that is our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/DumbFun for the whole Dumb Fun family of podcasts. Musical the Movie the podcast, both Mappa. Uh, last episode we did that. Mm. And as mm. well as uh, 30 Characters, uh, which our 50th episode is coming out uh, this week. Uh, as well, Sean, you've been on as well. Great episode. Uh-huh. And uh, as well as uh, Fanny Falls Demon Hunter, my little passion project that is about three episodes away from being done. Uh, wow, and wow, so wow. check that out. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. We talk about it every week, so you know what it is. And uh, yeah, so um, uh, Amanda uh, and Sean, is there anything... Amanda, let's start with you. Is there anything that you'd like to plug? Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm at, at Amanda C. Crowley. I'm really funny. Um, and uh, I I write uh, I write science fiction stories. If you want, you can nominate me for a Hugo Award. Oh, oh hell yeah. Um, I'm going to do that. That's not a joke. I'm going to do that. I'm sure um, I'm going to do and, that. Uh, yeah, so you can, you can find my stories there. Um, find your stories and, on Twitter? You link to them? Yeah, where you can, find, you can find links to them. On, you can right. find links to them on, on my Twitter. They're not just um, really short. No, okay. some, some, some are not Twitter, <laughs> but short, not, okay. although maybe under Elon Musk, they will be, oh. um, Get em. but yeah. Uh, all right, Sean, what about you? What's coming up that you'd like to plug? Oh man. Um, okay. So I have a whole lot of shows. Uh, so you really just go to my Instagram. I post most of my shows on there. So that's Sean S E A N Smith S M Y is in yellow P's in person H's in help. Sean Smith. Um, <laughs> that's right. Um, and I am headlining Plane of the Tapes uh, the first weekend in February, February 3rd and 4th. Um, and I am going to try to do some some different things there. I have um, a world-class beatboxer that is going oh, is to Roger? be opening my show. Uh, no, not Roger. <laughs> okay. not, no, not, not this one, no. Uh, um... <laughs> Oh, that was good. Um, <laughs> it was so good, man. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm gonna be doing some different stuff. Zach Wyckoff, uh, uh, for those of you who know, oh, he's, he's out of where Columbus or something, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, um, yeah, great, great, very funny young man. Very funny kid. Um, so yeah, I got some shows. I got some things. Um, oh, and uh, I've been working on a podcast as well. I think we are at eight episodes in i'm trying to wait to get them all recorded before i put them out mm-hmm. uh, but it's called album notes and it is a, a funny take on um dissecting r&b songs um, yeah and i love it it's it, it'll be fun so that'll be coming out this year um a lot of stuff i got a uh, hell of a mother-in-law is a web series that i'm in it's on facebook you can check that out um i don't know just go instagram twitter both of them, Sean Smith, S-E-A-N, S-M-Y's and Yellow, P's in person, H's in help. Uh, I'll plug another uh, weekend that you're going to be performing at Planet oh, of the yeah, Tapes yeah. Uh, very the recently, tapes. and yeah. that is going to be the roast of Elon Musk, uh, right? where uh, I won't have COVID and I'll be there uh, <laughs> as Mater. Preferred, preferred. Yeah, I'll be there as Mater the truck, uh, and uh, and Sean will be Kanye West, which is uh, just a character that is he is very locked into. Uh, yes. Did you have a question, Amanda, about Mater? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do. Why are you Mater the truck for Elon Musk? He's the original Cybertruck. That's <laughs> mm, true. Okay. That's a good answer. 
The better question is, <laughs> why is Scrooge McDuck going to be there as well? And so you'll have to... No, but that, like, there's a connection there. Oh, really? well, yeah, I guess he's got money. money. Immediately yeah, you get it. Yeah, Mater, you have to, you just have to hear yeah. three words and then you understand. Mater takes a side. The original yeah. Cybertruck. But you got it. Yeah. Um, toot toot. Get her dead. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's going to be at Planet of the Tapes in Louisville. We just did it in Chicago. It sold out. Great show. Uh, yeah. I, of course, was home with COVID. But uh, we are doing it in Louisville this uh, coming weekend that this episode comes out, uh, January 13th and 14th. Uh, So check that out. And uh, we're back in Chicago at the Laugh Factory on February 5th with the roast of 90s movies. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sorry, nope, nope. The roast of 90s music. We already did the roast of 90s movies. And Steph, what about you? What do you want to plug for this week? Um, I would like to plug not charging people rent to use Mm. the stuff you own. When you don't need to, like mm. uh, just normalizing that. Like, so I, I, like that's buildings. my plugs. Mm-hmm. Like buildings or um, like tools, durable goods. Um, uh, yeah, really anything. It's not. Uh, you don't. You don't need to just make rent money. That's <laughs> not. You don't need to just like take money from people. You can help them. You can just give people stuff. Beautiful, strong plug from Steph. And then sometimes your car gets towed. And sometimes I mean, you should have. Sometimes you should have. <laughs> should have gotten a security deposit at least. All right, that's fair. Amanda, Sean, thank Harsh you so much. Two, two people who we have been trying to get on this podcast since Truly, the very beginning. This is such a delight. This is a dream conversation. You both it's have so like ten other movies with your names by them in our spreadsheet. Yep. So Truly. you will. Perfect. You will both be back. And uh, and we will be back in two weeks with um, ha- I have stuff on this in this envelope the name of the next uh, movie we're gonna do so I'm, oh, I'm gonna ooh, open ooh, it yeah okay Moonlight <laughs> oh oh wait hang on I'm, I mean someone's in my ear no it's gonna be La La Land we're doing La La Land oh. uh, so we got that bit out of the way and uh, <laughs> thank you again Amanda and Sean we'll see everyone else in two weeks bye everybody. Bye. 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 Musical the movie the podcast. Musical the movie the podcast. Musical the movie the podcast with Andy and Steph. Fun dumb.